Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who save with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Remember the summer of 2020? It feels both forever and not that long ago. It was a turbulent time. There was a lot of breaking news, to say the least. That July, Naomi, a 30-something living in the Boston area, sees something on Facebook that no one else is really talking about. This news, reposted by a friend, applies to her in a very personal way. The post says that Somerville, Massachusetts, a small city right outside of Boston, has become the first municipality in the United States to pass an ordinance recognizing polyamorous domestic partnerships. Polyamory meaning having more than one romantic partner with the consent of everyone involved. Naomi is polyamorous and in a serious long-term relationship with her two partners. The prospect of their union being legally recognized, that they might enjoy the rights of more traditional two-person relationships, It feels like a huge thing. I was completely flabbergasted. I did not expect this to ever happen in my lifetime. I had pretty much resigned myself to living a closeted life with my boys. Immediately, Naomi has a bunch of questions. She's not sure what this new ordinance in Somerville would do exactly, what it could mean for her life and the lives of her partners. But... She's eager to find out. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. This season is all about relationships and big changes. The 180s we choose, and the big changes we find ourselves in unexpectedly. Sometimes, change is mostly external, like we are fundamentally the same, but it feels like the people around us have caught up. Today's episode is all about that. Naomi, the woman we mentioned at the top, has chosen a pseudonym for herself and for her partners, for reasons we'll get to. She first met one of her partners, Alex, when she was 18, not long after starting college. They were at a private university in the Mid-Atlantic. I joined this club, and he was there, and we got to know each other. He was really funny. I liked his sense of humor. So we just sort of gravitated towards each other. I asked him, hey, do you like me? And he was like, actually, I was going to ask you out on Valentine's Day next week. But since you posed the question first, yes. (laughs) Alex is two years ahead of Naomi in school, so he's 20. He studies science. He's cute and outgoing. He's a big extrovert. Naomi is interested in pursuing a relationship with him, but not necessarily an exclusive one. She and Alex talk about how they want to be together, and they settle on an open relationship. 
sexual exclusivity was not a thing that either of us cared about. So I characterized our open relationship as like emotionally exclusive, but sexually whatever. We weren't interested in climbing a relationship escalator of like date and then get married and have kids. And like, we weren't interested in that. So we just discussed with each other, what are we interested in? What matters to us? Ask Naomi if she remembers having any models for the kind of relationship she was looking for. She says she's been reading about consensual non-monogamy as far back as middle school. She recalls one particular writer on the platform LiveJournal. There was this one blogger called The Ferret, and he wrote about his life experiences in his polyamorous relationships, kind of like the life lessons that he learned, um, mistakes he's made, stuff like that. That was a pretty big formative experience, I guess, to be like, oh yeah, you know, there is more out there than just like the standard narrative. Having an open relationship means having to communicate a lot. Naomi and Alex learned to talk about how to prevent STIs and how and when to keep each other in the loop when they have other partners. They move in together before graduation, so they're already pretty serious by the time they leave school. In the years that follow, they do reach some milestones, despite Naomi's stated wish to avoid that relationship escalator. They meet each other's parents. They get pets. Naomi pursues a career in the academic world that, in the beginning, involves big moves every few years. Every time she has to leave a city and start over, Alex goes with her. She's so grateful for his partnership. We were kind of like the people that we could rely on in each of these new places. I'd do the thing I'd need for that segment of my career. We'd move again. And at the final one, I was like, okay, where do you want to go? Like, we, we've been moving, like, based on my needs this whole time. But now I have a choice as to where to go. One place they really liked living in those years of moving around was Massachusetts they already have a community there. They make the move back to Greater Boston in 2018, and that's when they get in touch with an old friend, Quinn. Quinn was one of the people that we kept in loose touch with, and then moving back like with this friend group, we got to hang out more in person rather than just, you know, a day here and there over the years. He actually helped Alex and I find the first apartment that we moved to. We needed somebody in the area to like actually go look at the apartments. He recorded video tours for us so we could like choose. Alex and Naomi move into their new place and get settled. Naomi then decides to join Quinn and other friends in a co-working group. It's basically a small group of people working together in the same place. Quinn volunteers his apartment as a meetup spot. It's comfy and it has snacks. Before long, Naomi finds that she really likes Quinn. This is a good time to say that Quinn is very different from Alex. Alex is an extrovert who goes to clubs and loves to be social. Quinn is a big-time introvert. He likes long talks about thoughts and feelings. Naomi still very much wants to be partnered with Alex, 
but her feelings for Quinn are hard to ignore. I knew that Quinn was monogamous. He's monogamous by orientation. You know, I'm in an open relationship with Alex, but I wouldn't give up Alex for another person. And so for the longest time, we were just like, oh, we're really good friends. We're just really good friends. Naomi and Quinn keep hanging out, working side by side as friends, until one of the people in their working group basically says, what is going on? Something is definitely going on. My college friend got sick of it and just kind of like banged our heads together. Like, you idiots, just talk to each other. We sort of figured out that we really, really liked each other, possibly loved each other. And then it was kind of like, okay, what do we do with this? At this point, remember, Naomi and Alex's deal is that they live together, they're partnered, and they're emotionally exclusive, but still sexually open. Naomi's feelings for Quinn aren't just sexual, though. She's also drawn to him emotionally. This presents a problem. The solution Naomi comes up with is polyamory. It would mean a big departure from her open relationship with Alex. She starts thinking about a structure where she has two partners, Alex and Quinn. First, she asks Quinn, would you be open to being with me if I'm still with Alex? Quinn decides, yes. His one stipulation is that Naomi be emotionally and sexually partnered only with him and Alex. That works for Naomi. Naomi then asks Alex if he's open to her having another partner. She explains that if she's with Quinn, it'll be more than just sleeping with someone else. Alex has to be open to her truly loving another person. Alex says, okay, he wants this to work too. The decision to try this polyamorous relationship actually happens pretty quickly, but it takes months for the three of them to figure out what's actually comfortable. Naomi knows what she wants this relationship to feel like for everyone involved. Happy, safe, secure, loving. Like, as long as we can find a way to make sure that everybody feels that way in the relationship, then that's all that really matters. Their relationship takes the shape of the letter V. Naomi has two partners, Alex and Quinn, who are both straight. They are friends with each other, and they share Naomi as a partner. I say to people, you know, the jump from open to poly is smaller than the jump from monogamy to polyamory, but, I mean, it's still a pretty big jump. You mentioned the jump from monogamy to open being a bigger jump, which makes me wonder whether this was hardest for Quinn to be on board with. It was very hard. He had a lot of, I guess you can call it like toxic monogamy concepts to process and unpack. For one, Naomi says, there is the idea that one partner should be able to give you everything and that if they don't, it's not true love. Another was the idea that you should fend off people who love your partner too. In Naomi's poly view, love is abundant, not in limited supply. Quinn was willing to accept that. 
When they start this arrangement, Naomi still lives with Alex. Quinn lives close by. At first, they start talking about all living together. We started out with more of a kitchen table structure. So kitchen table polyamory being like, you know, everybody can kind of sit around a kitchen table, play board games, eat a meal. I think of the extreme version of that as like everybody's lives are fully kind of like entangled. And so originally, because the boys were friends, we were like, oh, what if we all just sort of lived in the same space or not even lived in the same space? It was just like we would be in each other's apartments a lot. But there was like friction. There were sort of like places where they didn't quite feel comfortable being around me and each other. And so we figured that, you know, it would be better for them to sort of like have their own separate living spaces. A turning point comes about six months in when they find two units in the same building. It's the best of all possible worlds. Alex and Quinn each have their own place and Naomi could easily go back and forth. Alex and Quinn can hang out if they want, but no pressure. I spend one week in one boy's place and then the next week in the other. And so that's why I call them nesting partners. Anchor partner is another kind of word for it. When you're non-hierarchical, there's no primary or secondary. You don't like numerically rank your partners. But in terms of like, you know, I'm living with each of them and our sort of lives are at least somewhat logistically entangled. Naomi says being in a poly relationship has actually given her a better sense of herself and more time for herself. It was only after starting this arrangement that she realized she needed to take one day a week solely for herself, a me day for Naomi. Naomi's separate time with Alex and Quinn, it's different because they're different. When she's with Alex, the extrovert, they go out. They're doing social justice work. They go to rallies and protests. Quinn, on the other hand, is the kind of guy you binge a Netflix show with, quietly. I thought I was an introvert until I met Quinn. He can just happily stay in his house with the cats that we adopted together, actually, for days on end. We're a lot more domestic, I suppose, in that sense, like home buddies. I do have a cat with um, Alex as well, but (laughs) we're cat people. Naomi is happy with the choices she's made in her relationships. She's proud to be with the two men she loves. But being polyamorous is something she kind of keeps under wraps. When it was just her and Alex, they didn't need to talk about their open relationship with other people because their other sexual partners were just sexual partners. The polyamorous relationship is different. The three of them came out to close friends they knew would understand, but they've kept it a secret from others. They do not tell people at work. They've told some family, and it hasn't always gone well. That's just kind of the way the world is, that sense, that equation of polyamory with immorality, with cheating, with, like, shitty people doing shitty things. This brings us back to 2020, where our story started. That's when Naomi sees the Facebook post about this new ordinance in Somerville, Massachusetts. It says that domestic partnership benefits also apply to people in polyamorous relationships. This is a huge, unprecedented acknowledgement 
of polyamory. It began as a response to COVID and the fear that people wouldn't be able to have visitation rights for their partners in the hospital. At the time, that fear rings super true to Naomi. So she thinks Alex and Quinn and I should apply for this domestic partnership status. What happens if one of us gets COVID or multiple of us gets COVID? What happens if someone has to go to the hospital and because there's nothing on paper saying that we have any kind of relation to each other, like, what happens then? We can't visit, we can't support, we can't, you know, we can't do anything. After discussing it, reading about it, and figuring out the paperwork, Naomi, Alex, and Quinn apply for domestic partnership status in the fall of 2020. About two weeks later, they get a certificate in the mail. They become one of the first groups of people to go on the books as three domestic partners. Even though they did this for very practical reasons, it winds up feeling bigger than that. Here's a marker of significance that is, like, official And that moved me when I held that piece of paper. I should mention here that shortly after Somerville passed this ordinance, the city of Cambridge, right next door, followed suit. Then the town of Arlington, which borders Cambridge, did the same. It seems like having more than one domestic partner is becoming understood, at least locally. Naomi hopes this could be a step toward visibility for the polyamorous community, a normalization of what's been normal to her for years. Because this is how it goes, right? If the system you're living in recognizes the way you live, it's easier to explain, and for some, to accept. Maybe, eventually, she'll be able to live more openly. We've come out to all the people that we feel comfortable coming out to, and we don't feel any need to, like, fight a crusade acceptance. Like, we just want to live our lives. When I asked Naomi what else having this certificate means beyond the hospital visitation rights, she says she doesn't really know. Like, could it eventually lead to health insurance for two partners? She and I are both curious about just how big of a change this is. To figure that out, I needed to bring in an expert. That's after the break. Okay, we're back. So Somerville passing this ordinance, recognizing polyamorous domestic partnerships, may be a big deal. But what does it actually mean? Enter an actual expert. Hi, my name is Kimberly Roten. My pronouns are they, them. And I am currently the policy director for the Polyamorous Legal Advocacy Coalition. We are based out of Boston. We work with municipal and state governments to pass legislation that is polyamorous friendly. I start by asking Kimberly some basics. What do people not understand about what it means to be polyamorous? The one that stands out for me is actually how normal it can look. They might be your next-door neighbors. They might have a dog, right? They might look in many ways like how people expect a family to look. Here's a question I often get from people, and I I know I'm going basic 101 here, but I want to give people the opportunity to admit they don't know what's what. But, like, people will say, well, what's the difference between an open relationship and a polyamorous relationship? 
both fit underneath a really big umbrella called consensual non-monogamy. In an open relationship, that's predominantly sexual, right? So the partners outside of that relationship are looking for some sort of sexual relationship with people outside of it. Whereas in polyamory, it's not specifically focused on sex. I mean, it can be, but in fact, more often than not, you're looking at intimate and emotional relationships with multiple people, right? People are in love with multiple people. People are having long-term relationships with multiple people, having children with multiple people. Kimberly says that an estimated 4 to 5% of adults in the U.S. are in some kind of consensually non-monogamous relationship, and that 20% of adults have been in a similar arrangement over the course of their lifetime. 20% is a lot of people. Let's travel back to Somerville, which I should mention is a pretty liberal and eclectic place. Kimberly says it's also known nationally as a poly-friendly community, up there with San Francisco and Seattle, which is interesting because Somerville is pretty small, 80,000-ish people compared to San Francisco's more than 800,000. I asked Kimberly, what is it about Somerville, Massachusetts that made it the right city to do something so revolutionary? Unlike other sort of big legislative pushes that have happened in the history of sexual minority rights, Somerville was an amazing fluke. It really wasn't brought about by necessarily community support at the time, but rather by really one city council member in particular stands out, J.T. Scott. So Somerville at the time had no domestic partnership ordinance at all. And the city was realizing, especially during the pandemic, that a number of residents who were not legally married were coming in and saying they were having difficulty seeing their partners while they're in the hospital. And so Somerville was starting to think through, okay, we really need to draft a domestic partnership ordinance so that people have another alternative route um, in order to recognize their relationships that isn't legal marriage. And literally the day of, my understanding is the day of the vote, J.T. Scott sat down with several other council members and said, you know, why does it have to just be two? Couldn't it be more than two people that are in a domestic partnership? And people got online really fast. Which makes it seem like it could be really easy for any municipality to just do this. Um, Yes and no. Even other liberal municipalities in progressive states could not necessarily follow Somerville's lead, Kimberly says. Take California. Unlike Massachusetts, California has a law equating domestic partnership with marriage, which is a progressive idea, right? But California also has laws banning bigamy. So if domestic partnerships equal marriage, that means polyamorous partnerships wouldn't fly. So basically what might have seemed like a support for LGBTQ rights is now inhibiting potentially polyamorous people. Yeah, absolutely. So what we don't want to have happen (laughs) is to erode the exceptional progress that has been made for LGBTQ relationships, or particularly same-sex partnerships, right? We don't want their rights to be taken away. The question that comes to mind for me is, well, if Somerville acknowledges that I have two partners. Does my company have to insure, give health insurance to two people? Like, how far does the legislation go to what the world has to give us in terms of support? 
So as far as like the actual legal rights that you get from this law, it's a little bit limited. Again, like municipalities can only give what they can give. So what they can give to you are hospital and jail visitation rights, bereavement leave, particularly for city employees and possibly from private employers if they choose to recognize domestic partnerships. And health insurance, again, particularly for private employers who are willing to recognize this. Beyond that, though, there's a whole other area, sort of gray area of the law. Judges can look towards things like this to determine if a relationship is valid, even if the state isn't necessarily thinking through polyamorous domestic partnerships at this time, right? If I go to family court and I'm fighting for custody of my children amongst my three other partners, the judge will look to this and say, oh, I see that you were in a domestic partnership for the last 20 years. That is absolutely going to count as evidence of a prior relationship, right? Evidence of parentage. And that is massive. Is that a goal for your organization for the future to lobby for an expanded support system or financial sort of framework for these relationships? Because I, I do think that, you know, I know a lot of couples that get married because that's a big piece of it. First off, I'll say that our goals are not just related to polyamorous partnerships. They're more focused on an equitable interpretation of family. Family is so much more broad than what it used to be 50 years ago. Ideally, what we'd like to find is that people can give health insurance to those that they consider their chosen family, whoever that might be, whether it's your polyamorous partners, maybe it's your best friend that you've had for 20 years who's sick. I love that. And actually, so something I wanted to pull up real quick is that actually, so the language that Somerville passed as far as, you know, what kind of relationship do the partners need to be in, they actually say a relationship of mutual support, caring and commitment and intend to remain in such a relationship. That is all you need to have in order to be in a domestic partnership with a person. Kimberly says that people can apply for this kind of domestic partnership in Somerville, even if they live outside of the city. It doesn't mean your own municipality will honor it. But Kimberly says they're hopeful that in time, this kind of official recognition will be portable. By the way, Naomi, Alex, and Quinn, the people in the partnership we featured earlier in the episode, all live outside of Somerville. Kimberly notes that even with this new ordinance, there's still a lot of work to do to protect people in polyamorous relationships from discrimination. Still, it's a major milestone for them. Do you remember when you heard about it and what your reaction was? It was a massive personal and professional deal to me. One, I lived in Somerville at the time in a multi-person, a polyamorous multi-person household, and it was just shocking and fascinating and deeply relieving in ways that are just indescribable. Somerville counselor Lance Davis said it best. He said that this validates their existence and it validates the way that they love. And I remember reading that in the news thinking, yeah, like that's exactly what this is doing. <laughs> it's giving so it's giving a not only like a legal tone of acceptance, but also a communal tone of acceptance. Somerville recognizes these relationships as not only real, but something worth providing rights to. That's something that I never thought would happen in my lifetime. And now that it has, and now that Somerville was the first, I think we are just thinking about running with it. Like, let's really make the cities that we live in recognize the way that people love. 
Thank you, Kimberly, so much for all the information. Thank you for having me. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Amy Padula, Caitlin Harrop, and Scott Hellman, with help from Jesse Remedios, Serena Puang, and Dana Gerber. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Maddie Mortel do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And you can always send us a question. We are an advice column to loveletters at boston.com. And if you like the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or online at loveletters.show. No one's going to be surprised if I say sibling, right? Because I feel like my sibling relationship is very spousal. Like, sometimes I wonder why that wouldn't count. So incest rules still apply for, I believe, all three jurisdictions, in which case Mm. that would prevent that. Yeah, that'll do it. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.